Father, thanks again for this time. Lord, uh, we believe that this time of prayer corporately, that it matters. Lord, that you are pleased by it, that it has an impact in our lives and in the lives of the people that we're praying for. Um, God, we want to hear from you this morning. Speak to us. Help us to see. Help us to to hear and to follow you, Lord, to actually live this stuff out. Help us to take practical steps of faith and help us to pass it on to other people. Whatever you're going to teach us today, help us to, to share it with others, God. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wanted to change? Anybody here? Raise your hand. Have you ever wanted to change? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Yes, uh, I know the first memory that I have of me wanting to change was when I was three years old. I was three years old, and Popeye the Sailor Man came on. Yes. Um, and I saw Popeye, and I saw, man, this guy's got huge muscles, especially after he eats these cans of spinach. And I looked down at my arms, and I realized for the first time as a three-year-old that I had these little shrimpy arms. And in that moment, I decided, I want to change. I want big, muscular Popeye arms. So I waited for the opportune moment. A few nights later, my mom made dinner. And it just so happened that she cooked spinach. And so I didn't care about any of the other food. I mean, I'm digging in like three platefuls of spinach. And I eat the spinach. I look at my left arm. I look at my right arm. I look at my mom and say, it's not working. And it never did. And so um, that was the first time I wanted to change. I wanted to change so desperately, right? And that's a silly example, but we all have wanted to change. I've wanted to change things about myself, even my my accent, my southern accent, I sound like a hick, you know, I've wanted to change it. Um, but we've wanted to change the way that we look, we've wanted to change maybe like our thought life and how we think about ourselves, um, we've wanted to change our diet, our exercise, all these sorts of things, right? And then we come up against this tough reality, and it's this, change is hard. Change is hard, right? Um, for example, it's the first Sunday in March, and all of our New Year's resolutions have probably died at this point. Uh, maybe not. Maybe you're staying strong. But I saw a statistic the other day that said that 23% of all the people that set New Year's resolutions will have failed one week after making the resolution. One week, 23%, done. Only 36% of people actually make it through January. And only 9% of people will actually finish them. So we all have great intentions. We all have desires. Ah, it's a new year. I'm going to change. New year, new me. And then the reality strikes. Change is really hard. Uh, I don't know how you felt when you have hit that wall. I know that I, I have hit that wall personally many times. Uh, at times we can feel powerless. We might feel less than, inferior. And we just feel stuck, Right? And so you might have had the thought, man, no matter how hard I try, I can't change. Or maybe you've had the thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm kind of tasting change. Like I'm, There's a little bit of change happening. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how long is this going to last? And so the question that we all ask is this, how can I change? How can I change? How can we change? And so not just superficial, short-term kind of change, but how can we have a deep, lasting change at the core of who we are? How can we 
experience a transformation, become more, become all that we're meant to be. And so today we're going to open up the Word of God and we're going to discover God's plan to help us change. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we'll be today. Last week we looked at uh, the beginning of <coughs> chapter 3 and we discovered that Paul said that we are um, we're ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter that kills, but of the spirit that gives life. And we're going to pick it up there today. This is the word of God. How do we change? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. <coughs> so Paul jumps in and says, hey, we're ministers of the new covenant of the Holy Spirit. And he makes this comparison from the lesser to the greater, that the old covenant is nowhere near as glorious as the new. It did have glory. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments on tablets of stones, Moses' face was shining with the glory of God. In fact, it was shining so brightly that the Israelites were freaked out. They had to cover their face. They were terrified. And yet, it was temporary. It wasn't lasting. Here's another way of saying what Paul said. The old covenant isn't glorious when compared to the surpassing glory of the new covenant. So the old covenant led to death. The new covenant led to life. The old covenant brought about condemnation. The new covenant brought about righteousness. The old covenant was temporary and set aside. The new covenant was enduring. The new covenant of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Paul said, is so much better than the ministry of the letter that Moses was given. So picture this. I mean, have any of you guys, raise your hand if you've ever seen Batman Begins. Has anybody seen that movie? Okay, so thank you. I, I'm a big Batman fan. I love all the Batman movies. So I remember when I went to see that movie, and I thought, man, this is such a good movie. You got Ra's al Ghul, and you got Scarecrow, and Falcone, and all these people, you know. And I'm thinking, wow, so good. And then the dark night came out. And the dark night was so good. It was so much better with the Joker. Like, I love the Joker. He's the best. It was so much better. I, I couldn't even tell you the last time I watched Batman Begins. I, I don't think I watched it after I saw it in movie theaters. But I have watched the dark night over and over and over. It's the same thing with the Old and New Covenant. The Old Covenant, it was awesome. It was great. But when you compare it to the new covenant of the Holy Spirit, not just that there's a set of laws, hey, do this, don't do this, but the Holy Spirit of God, a third of the Trinity, is living inside of you in your heart, and he's written the law of God on your heart, and he's empowering you to live it out. Oh, my gosh. You can have life and righteousness, and it never ends. That's far better. And you are a minister of that covenant. That's the covenant that you get to experience and minister to other people. And so this powerful truth it really it shaped Paul. Now listen to what it produced in Paul. Verse 12. 
Since then, so because the news is so much glory, since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So Paul said, because you and I get to experience and minister the new covenant, this ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's so much better than the old, we're bold. We speak boldly. We act boldly. We're not like Moses. So Moses, when he came down from meeting with God, he meets with the people. His face is glowing because he saw God. It's radiant. It's incredible. And Moses put this veil over his face to keep the Israelites from being freaked out. But Paul actually builds on that here, and he says that Moses put the veil over his face, and it prevented the Israelites from seeing that the old covenant glory was fading. In other words, when Moses went into the presence of God, he came out, wow, this is so glorious. But what happened when Moses had been away from God for a while? His face stopped shining. But when the veil is over his face, when he's with the people, they can't see his face stop shining. So they just think his face is shining all the time, this glorious covenant. So Paul's saying this veil prevented the Israelites from gazing steadily at the end of the glory that was being set aside. Their minds were hardened. So this physical veil, this this actually happened in history, but it's a picture of a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is this, that the Jewish people, because of their sin and rebellion against God, their minds and their hearts grew hard. They weren't able to see that the old covenant glory was temporary, and they weren't able to see that the new covenant glory was far better. So, in other words, Paul is saying people are blinded from seeing the glory of the new covenant. It happened in the day of Moses. It happened, as Paul said, in his own day, that the Jewish people, they... They couldn't see. They were blinded. The veil remained over them. From what? From seeing that Jesus was the Messiah the scriptures talked about. They could read Isaiah 53. They could read Psalm 22. They could read all these passages that it's so clear. It's so obvious. This is about Jesus. He fulfills it. They can't see it. Why? Because there's a veil. They can't see that the old covenant was temporary. They can't see the glory of Jesus in the new covenant. And guys, the same is true for you and me today. People are blinded by the devil. This is a work that the devil does. He blinds people. He veils the gospel. He wants to keep people from seeing the glory of the new covenant in the face of Jesus Christ. It's why... There's a room full of people in here, and we all can hear, man, God loved you so much that even when you were broken, even when you were a sinner, and even when you rejected God, he showed you grace, and he sent Jesus to this earth that lived the perfect life, died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. He's Lord over all. Everybody can hear that, right? Like you, you, you hear that in your ears. But not everybody sees the beauty and the majesty 
of that message. Everybody hears the same thing, but not everybody is equally blown away by it. How many of you guys, raise your hands, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hands. Ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, just yell out what are some words that you would use to describe the Grand Canyon? Wow. What? Say it again. Majestic. Scary. It's like awe-inspiring, right? What else? Big. Anything else? All right, so y'all, y'all heard those words, right? Now let me read to you Google reviews from people about the Grand Canyon. This is from Jose. This was uh, four months ago. One star. Disappointment. Actually, he says, disappointment place, which doesn't even make sense. But disappointment place. Everything is closed. Nothing really here. Four hours of travel wasted. This is Carl. Carl, two months ago, one star. I went to some big hole in the ground as far as I can figure. Not exactly grand. This is from Ray. This was three weeks ago. Too cold, too windy, river too far away. Pretty awe-inspiring, I guess, if you like that sort of thing. How, how can you guys, you saw the same thing as them, right? You saw the same thing as Carl. And yet, for some reason, you say words like, wow, majestic, scary. And all they see is a hole in the ground. One star. That is what happens with the gospel. See, some people have a veil over their eyes, and they hear this message of Jesus, and they think, uh, one star, oh, great, okay, Jesus, whatever. And then some of you, you hear it, and the veil has been lifted because you've turned to the Lord. And when the veil is lifted, you see Jesus, and he's glorious, and he's grand, and you're blown away. So here's what you've got to do. We've got to turn to the Lord. If you're here today, and maybe a friend invited you, maybe you came here for the first time, you're checking church out after being away for a while, whatever, (coughs) you are going to hear this stuff, and there's a chance you're just going to think, man. And the only way that you're going to see Jesus for who he really is is if you turn to the Lord. It's the only way the veil can be lifted. In other words, You've got to stop being king of your life. Will you actually give up control and say, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. Have your way. Tell me what to think. Tell me what to value. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to treat people. Tell me where to live. Tell me the type of job you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do with my money and my time and my relationships. It's all yours. I was talking with a guy the other day, and... He tells me he's a Christian. I'm on the phone with him. He tells me he's a Christian. And he's telling me about this breakup that he went through. And he tells me, he says, you know, I want this breakup, but I'm over it. But, you know, I'm trying to move forward. And I'm talking with, okay, hey, what'd you learn? And one of the things he told me is he needed a girl and his future girlfriend who had the same values as him. He realized this last girlfriend, she didn't value the same things. And I said, okay, I said, well, tell me, like, well, what are your values? What are you looking for in the next girl you date? And he said, well, you know, I'm not looking for, like, a crazy about Jesus, like, missionary kind of girl. I'm just looking for a girl that, like, goes to church, you know, like, reads her Bible occasionally. 
And then he said this, and I was just like, I had to, I had to kind of like, I was driving, and I kind of had to like almost like pump the brakes because I was like, whoa. He just said, he said, yeah, you know, I'm looking for a girl, you know, same values as me. Like, it's like a Christian, but like not crazy. And that will mess around. And I was like, wait, did he, does he know I'm a pastor? I was like, did he? <laughs> mo- most people think that, but they don't actually say it to me. He just said it as if I was going to be cool with it and be like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, you need to find you a girl that's sexually active before marriage, but, like, goes to church, you know? And, and so I asked this guy, I said, hold on, I said, wait a minute, I said, you're, you're, you're a Christian, right? And he said, yeah, and I said, and so that means that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, so whatever he says to do you got to do it, right? He's like, yeah. I said, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? And he said, well, yeah, I think, I think I've read it before. And I said, well, did you read the part where Jesus says that even to look at a woman lustfully is adultery and that you should gouge your eye out or cut your hand off so that you don't get thrown into hell? And he said, well, you know, I agree with like 90% of what Jesus said. And we laugh at that, but that's Christianity in North America. That is what people believe. That is how we act. Well, I'm a Christian, but like 90% I'll obey Jesus. And I asked him, I said, so what, what's the 10%? I said, you got to help me understand what, what 10%. He said, well, you know, like the part that we were just talking about. Like, you will never see the beauty of Jesus until you turn to the Lord in such a way that you say, God, I'm not going to live how I want anymore. I'm not going to move in this direction anymore. I'm turning to you, and I'm going to be set apart from the world to you. I'm going to live how you want me to live. You can have it all. Have your way in my life. And when you do that, when you repent from your sin and you believe and you trust Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. Save me. Change me. Then you'll have change. But you can't have Jesus and your sin and think you'll change. You won't. you got to turn to the Lord. So Paul says that there's a veil. People can't see the gospel. But if we turn to the Lord, some, power, some powerful things happen. The veil is lifted. And look at what happens as a result. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image, (coughs) from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul, he says, we're ministers of a new covenant. It's so much better than the old. Not everybody can see it, but when you turn to the Lord, you can see it. In fact, he says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to do what? Freedom to see. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is to remove the veil from people who can't see the glory of God in Jesus. They can't see how much better the ministry of the Spirit is. They can't see the glory of the new covenant. He removes the veil when you turn to him to help you have the freedom to see Wow, God loves me. God's for me. He sent his son to die on the cross for me. 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, not just Moses, not just one person, not just pastor, I go home and I get on my knees with the Lord. Lord, Monday through Saturday, give me a word. Would you, yes, good to be in your presence and study the Bible and the word. And then Sunday comes and I say, all right, guys, I've been with God all week. Let me tell you about him. Oh, man, if you just could have been with God. Oh, the friendship that I had with the Lord. I was like talking with him face to face. Oh, he gave me this word for you. No. You don't have to go through Moses. You don't have to go through the pastor. You, we all, everybody in Christ, we, with unveiled faces, we can see. We've been freed up by the Holy Spirit. You can have that kind of friendship with God every day, anywhere you go. You have access to God. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror. So we're not actually in the presence of God, seeing God in all of his glory, right? But when we hear the gospel, we see as in a mirror. We spiritually have eyes to see the glory of God, the weightiness of God. We see his character and his attributes revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, as we behold Jesus, we start to become like Jesus. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. We're seeing the glory of God in Jesus, and we're being transformed into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. So this is a process. When, uh, a couple of Mondays ago, I'm getting dinner with a guy. And he had told me, uh, he said, hey, man, I want to meet because whenever I asked my father-in-law if I could marry his daughter, he said, yes, absolutely, so excited. He said, only one condition. He said, only one thing I want you to, to worry about. I want you to get saved. And he said, well, that's easy because I got sprinkled when I was a baby in the Catholic Church. And so he's telling me, he's like, yeah, so I'm saved. Like, I think I'm saved, but, like, I don't really know what it means to be saved. And, like, you know, like, I'm trying hard. I'm a military guy. And so, like, I keep trying and trying and trying. And, you know, I'm thinking hopefully maybe God will kind of change me. You know, maybe my life will change. And we start to talk. And what the conversation I had with him I want to have with you now. I wish if we were sitting at Logan's Steakhouse, you know, eating a steak together. Here's, here's how the conversation would go. I would, I would have told him, I'd say, well, I said to him, what I would say to you is, what does it mean to be saved? Well, there's actually a couple different dimensions to it. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. So you have been saved if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you've turned to the Lord in a moment. That moment is called justification. That's the big Theological word, okay, the $2 word for the day. Justification. It's just as if you'd never sinned. You're declared righteous. God sees you and says, the perfection that Jesus lived, it's now clothing you. You are righteous in my sight. How did that happen? One moment. Now, here's what you got to understand. First of all, here's what my friend didn't understand. You have to hear the gospel and turn to the Lord in order to be declared righteous by God. And the last time I checked, I'm not trying to say this 
to put down anybody's background growing up. But last time I checked, an infant can't do that. That's just, does anyone know an infant that could hear the gospel and, and they repent of their sin and they put their, no. Okay, so you, you can't get justified. You can't be saved through being sprinkled as a, an infant. I'm not saying that there's anything sinful about people doing that, but that's just not you being saved, okay? So you got to put your faith in Jesus in a moment. But here's the deal. You can, you're changed in that moment. You, you have a new heart. You're declared righteous. Awesome. But it's going to be a process of the rest of your life to become more like Jesus. You see what I'm saying? One moment, you're saved. You're declared righteous. That's justification. The process of the rest of your life to change your character, to change how you think and speak and treat people, that's a process, and it's called sanctification. That's the other $2 word for the day. That's $4 now. I'm really bringing it to you all today, okay? Not everybody gets this, just you guys. Um, so you got to know that. Why? A couple of reasons. One is if you're frustrated and you're thinking, man, I can't change. I just can't change. I keep, I keep struggling with the sin in my life. I keep not having victory. It doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen just because you got baptized. It happens little by little by little. Over time, we are being transformed. The word, we actually get the word metamorphosis from this word in Greek. We are being transformed. So picture, like this process of you changing, it, it is like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. I mean, that's the picture. It takes time. It's a process. And ultimately, so you've been saved, you're being saved, and one day you will be saved glorification when you see Jesus face to face when you see Jesus face to face you will no longer be looking as in a mirror dimly you will see him and you will be conformed to his image you will be transformed your body will be changed you'll have a resurrected body how does this change happen how are we transformed by looking at Jesus we have been freed by the Holy Spirit. The veil comes off in order to see Jesus. And now, by beholding Jesus, we become like Jesus. you got to see him. So, beholding Jesus, how does this work? What do we do? How do we do this? Well, practically, this comes from the gospel. It comes from hearing or reading or singing about the gospel or conversations with Christians about the gospel. It's clinging to the truth that Jesus died in our place on the cross and God raised him from the dead and he's Lord of our life. That's what it takes is to continually put Jesus before us and to enjoy him and to savor him and to worship him, the crucified Jesus. That's how people change. And so I actually, I want to, instead of just talking about it, I want to give us space to do it right now and one way to do it. And, and I want it to be practice so that you can do it anytime you want, okay? And there's many ways to do it, but here's how we're going to do it today. Just get in a comfortable position. Go ahead and you can close your eyes, bow your head, whatever you want to do. Get in a comfortable position. And I'm going to read some passages of Scripture that emphasize the gospel, to see Jesus, to behold him.
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Behold, Jesus, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of sorrows and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You can open your eyes. Church, the truth is, if you turn to the Lord and you behold Jesus, you can change. Change is possible for you. A deep, lasting change, not by your own effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will fill you and empower you and lead you to change the way you think, to change your desires, to change how you speak to people, to change the way you treat other people. You can change. God wants you to change, and he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. The question is, by faith, will you behold Jesus? Will you stop getting caught up in beholding all this other nonsense, all this other garbage? Think about all the other things that your mind rolls around constantly. Think about the things you give your time to. And then think about how much time do you really spend seeing and savoring Jesus, enjoying Jesus, being in awe of Jesus. God wants to change you. It's only going to come through beholding Jesus Christ.